welcome to The Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the insufferability of not selling out so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read No Walls and the Recurring Dream by Ani DeFranco. Joining us to discuss this memoir of gaslighting, gatekeeping, and girl bossing is friend of the show and world-class chess champion, Sophie. Hi. First of all, I need to clarify two things. One, that it's just world chess champion. <laughs> and two, that Sophie is not actually no, I, the world chess champion. <laughs> no, I, no, that's a lie. I am a world-class chess champion. <laughs> Everything she just said is true. <laughs> um, welcome back to the show, Sophie. This is really, an, it's really an appropriate time for you to be here. It's an honor to be here on this episode of Behind the Bastards, <laughs> colon, Audie DeFranco. <laughs> so Sophie's been on for a few other episodes before, and I don't remember what they are right now, and that's fine, because what's um, important- It's oh. Flowers in the Attic oh, and yes. The Selection. Okay, yeah, some classics. Oh my god, I forgot about The Selection as a concept know? entirely. <laughs> that's privilege. i wish i could live without that knowledge (laughs) but it's really important because sophie has been friends with us since um like high school days yeah i think probably since i was like 15 and you guys were like 16 17 that sounds yeah that's what math is probably that's how yeah sounds right um 15 was how old by the way there's so much that I feel like we need to get out of the way before we can get even into the book. So one of the things is this is this hurts me more than it hurts you, the listener. This this concept of talking about Ani DeFranco and the way that we're about to, because I loved Ani DeFranco. Like when I was an angry activist teenager, there were three things that I liked, and they were Rent and Ani DeFranco and Tori Amos. And and Sophie and Kate and I all met through Rent, but then also because because it was the 90s and early aughts, we all also liked Ani DeFranco. And yes. Ani, Ani DeFranco was the first concert that I went to, like, by my choice, you know, that it wasn't like a family outing or whatever. Like, and it, Oh, wow. I was 15. I saw Ani DeFranco at the Interstate Center in Bloomington, which is a weird vibe. There's a weird vibe all around. I think I only saw her in concert once. I was not as big of a fan as the two of you. I was not like, there were people who I was obsessive about at that time, like Dar Williams. Um, and I liked Ani, but I was not as like super, I was not writing her lyrics on my uh, homework binders the way that I was for like Dar Williams or all of the music from Rent. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had a lot of binders with Ani lyrics on them, which is hilarious because I was, 15 and didn't understand what she was talking about <laughs> at all had never been in a relationship like barely knew what sex was <laughs> i my one memory i did go to maybe i went to two ani shows there's one that the one that i remember the most is actually i remember it because i don't remember it i was very sick but my girlfriend had gotten me tickets for my birthday or something and we were reaching this point where like i it was very clear that she thought this relationship was going to go further than I thought it was going to go. And I felt bad about that. So I was trying to be very like, I don't know, conciliatory. So even though I was not feeling well, I went out to this show with her and I literally don't remember a, what happened or B how I got home. Mm. But (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I got home from my first Ian DeFranco concert because my parents picked me up in their minivan. Hell yes. <laughs> That's punk rock. Yeah, baby. I mean, Ani does spend a lot of the book talking about her minivan, so. Yeah. Um. Okay, so just the timeline, I guess. Like, mid-90s, I become aware of Ani. Late 90s, early aughts, I'm peak Ani fandom. As the years go on, I discover other music. I move on. I don't like listen to her or follow her as um, much or eventually at all. And then in 2013, she made headlines and a lot of waves because she announced that she was going to do some kind of like songwriter workshop at a at a former plantation, not away plantation. That's it's like now it's a hotel, but it was a plantation that had slaves. And everyone was like, um, you're supposed to be this like feminist icon. Like this is not cool. And she apologized very badly. And I remember reading that to me like, oh bad. But I at that point I wasn't as much of a fan of hers anyway. So it wasn't like, oh Ani did this. Now I don't like her anymore. It was kind of like Oh, I kind of already maybe like grew out of this phase of my life, but like fucking yikes. And it turns out that yeah. feeling of yikes was like a good warm up for eventually reading this book. Um, we should probably say at the top uh, some content warnings for what white person uh. thoughtless racism and I. unchecked white privilege transphobia i guess yeah unchecked white privilege unchecked cisgender privilege Mm -hmm. gender essentialism all the way down so much um and also again like with matthew mcconaughey's memoir which was hilariously much (laughs) better than this like if you had gone back to the year 2000 and been like hey renata like one day you're gonna read a book by annie defranco you're gonna read a book by matthew mcconaughey you're gonna like matthew's way better i would have been like excuse like that guy from days and confused like what are you talking about <laughs> uh and but it's true anyway like matthew she also i would say faced some like child abuse and child sexual assault that she s- does not think of in that way and doesn't describe it using the term abuse but reading it it's like oh no this is bad this is a bad scene for you yeah, it was that part was really difficult to read, especially since she doesn't really kind of put it in any sort of context. She doesn't really examine it anyway. She's just like, man, my home life was bad. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. And I think this is actually something that I really wrestled with as I was preparing my notes for this and realizing like how much more that I liked Matthew McConaughey's book than this one is I was like, Oh no, do am I how is my internalized misogyny? Like am I holding Ani to a higher standard than I am Matthew McConaughey? And you know what I, like do I expect all of my feminist icons to be perfect because they're not like they're humans. But I'm like no, this is like she's not clearing like a medium bar, she's not clearing a low bar. Like the bar cuz I think that if she had been like at the time I was a kid and I didn't think that it was um you know an older man taking advantage of me and now I realize that's what it was. And instead, she's just like, well, I was mature for my age. So, like, of course, I was only interested in older men. And it's like, you were 15. You were a child. Um, and again, it's one thing if you're a child and that's your that's your take on it then. But she's writing this as, like, a 49, 50-year-old woman and has no further analysis, no further, like, lens that she wants to apply to it. She's just writing it with no... F- 
And I think if she, I think I would have appreciated that. Yeah, it's I, I felt that way about a lot of it, um, where this felt like very aggressively 90s yes. in that like those were the attitudes and yeah. they hadn't been updated. And there's no like the things there's a point where she goes off about how like makeup is bad and fashion is bad in such a way that it sounds like it's something that I would have said when I was 15. Yes. Except yeah. she's a 50 year old woman writing this book. And there's no nuance to it. There's no, like, it's just this very, like, I'm not like other girls attitude that that is so pervasive throughout the entire thing. While simultaneously, like, almost every side character in this story is a man who she had working for her because she became friends with them or started sleeping with them and then, like, added them to her you know, staff at her, at her touring group and her record label. And then there's a whole point where she goes off about how like, oh, well, she tries to hire women, but there aren't any women in those roles that she can find. Yeah. And I actually, when I was looking at her Wikipedia entry, I was surprised by how many women have been in her band and were in her band at the time that this book takes place. Uh, and she doesn't talk about them at all. I I can't remember them being mentioned at all. No. Yeah. And again, I, I think... I think that we can let people evolve. And I think if she had been like, oh, and I, at some point I realized like I should be doing more to promote the works of other women or like, and we'll get into this more later, I think. But if she had been like, at the time I had a more limited understanding of like what it meant to be transgender and what transgender rights were. And now I've learned and I regret that I said this at that time. And, And I mean, for me, as like a cisgender person, I would have been like, okay, like I understand that. And, you know, maybe a trans person would still be like, no, I'm still hurt. And I, and that's, I would accept that if someone else didn't accept an apology that she made, but she's not even making an apology. She's just like, well, this is what I thought then. Anyway, I think that's kind of an overarching theme of the book is her presenting these things. And you're kind of waiting for her to say, like, you know, obviously, at the time, this is how I thought about this thing that happened to me. But now that I've had 20, 30 years to reflect on it, it actually, you know, my opinions have changed and evolved. And I think partway through the book, I had to tell myself, no, she's not going to do that. She's not going <laughs> to do that at any point. And spoiler alert, she doesn't. She doesn't. Um, at no point does she revisit her past beliefs and put them in context. Uh, it, they're just presented without commentary. I'll say that the most that she does is at the very beginning of the book, like her introduction, she talks about how she's made mistakes and she points out these mistakes. And then basically her attitude is like, but it seems like whatever I do to apologize isn't going to be enough for some people. So I decided I just have to like live my life and do what I want and, you know, yeah. not apologize. And Sometimes, though, you, like, do actually have to apologize. <laughs> yeah, sometimes people aren't required to accept your apologies. and But that doesn't mean you shouldn't make them if you realize what you did was wrong. When you say it like that, what it sounds like is, well, I don't think I did anything wrong, but yeah. some people think I do. I have. So I, I apologize to them, but they didn't take it anyway. So why should I apologize? Like the I, the act of apology should be you realizing that you have done something wrong that has hurt people and acknowledging that to people. It's not something that you do to make people like you again. <laughs> and uh, um, she talks to and I do understand that like she has been wronged by people also. And like, clearly there's just huge chips on her shoulders from 
and I think some of these are legitimate, like legitimate, you know, being taken advantage of or being underestimated, you know, for being a woman or whatever. Um, or like, I know this was a huge thing that uh, she's bisexual. And that was huge for a lot of people. I think she was maybe in the, in the 90s, one of the most famous, like out bisexual people. And then she married a man and a lot of, you know, she faced a lot of biphobic backlash that was like, oh, I thought you were queer, but you married a man. And like, yeah, like she's bi- like, yeah, she did. And that's that that, that happens sometimes. That's it doesn't not a, change anything. Yeah, that's not a problem. As the resident bisexual woman married to a man. Uh, yeah, that part actually is messed up. I, I will give her that. Uh, but I think that between that and a couple of other things, she comes off as really just resenting her fans as a whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, you know, talking about how she's not, she doesn't think that they should really like ever talk to her, I think is what she thinks. And and I'll be like, I'm sure that this woman had and has some like extremely intense fans. Like, I, and I do believe that that would have been stressful to deal with. And I think that people probably did expect a lot from her as fans and I'll buy that that would be stressful but this is where okay there's a lot in this book where it's like oh you could write that in a draft but then maybe don't put it in the published version or like tell that part (laughs) to your therapist but don't put it in the published version but then you get to the end throughout this could have used a narrator and or ghostwriter to just kind of impose a narrative on it and make this make a little more sense but then you get to the end and at the very end, it's like, and thank you to my very good friend, Amanda Palmer, for being like the closest <laughs> reader of this book. And then I was just like, penny dropped. This everything makes sense. <laughs> and if, if you don't know who Amanda Palmer is, good for You're you. You're very lucky. Good for you. Just Google it. And I'm um, sorry. <laughs> I feel like part of the part of the 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 whole vibe of her not liking her fans is that this there's this like constant and it's one of those things I should say a sentence so that at some point probably um she has this constant like anti-capitalist rhetoric which I totally understand capitalism is terrible and I think we all agree about that but it's it's a very black and white sort of anti-capitalist rhetoric that is again something that is not she's not reflecting on now and being like yeah it was stupid when i was 19 and i didn't yeah. want to sell records because like i thought that was selling out telling people that they could buy my records at my shows like that's dumb yeah. <laughs> like it's just yeah. dumb and to be like now still saying like yeah like I didn't want to do it because like capitalism is bad and I didn't want to like shill for myself and it, it constantly throughout I kept thinking about that um that Matt Bors comic that's like <laughs> yes, society yeah. is bad <laughs> yeah. but you participate in society <laughs> interesting <laughs> Yeah, I did think it was very funny when she was talking about not wanting to sell t-shirts and the journey that they had to go on to get her to sell a t-shirt that had her name on it. Because at first she only wanted to sell shirts that did not have her name on it. And then she was like, okay, fine. They can say Ani, nothing else. And then they were like, okay, fine. They can say Ani D, but that's (laughs) as far as I'm willing to go. Yeah. I, by the way, in high school, I had multiple Ani shirts for sure. A huge part of my wardrobe. And my mom has one right now, actually, because when I was going through, I was like giving some stuff to Goodwill and one of them was an Ani DeFranco (laughs) long sleeve shirt. And she was like, 
oh wait I don't have very many long sleeve tees can I have that and I was like sure and it says righteous babe on the sleeve and my mom's like I don't she didn't know what it meant but she was like yeah righteous babe that sounds cool and I was like great I will not explain this to you enjoy your (laughs) enjoy your righteous babe shirt bye (laughs) between you know between Ani DeFranco and Rent as a child as a teen I was very concerned about selling out (laughs) yes yep (laughs) y'all Um, can we talk about the connection between Ani DeFranco oh, yes, and Rent? Please. Oh my god, it's yes. very important. Yes. <laughs> um. So apparently, well, it was the new school, was it? No, or was this, it? Was no high it was school. This was Buffalo's Magnet Arts yeah. High School. Yes, and one of her classmates there was Jesse L. Martin, who is known for many things, including uh, a long stint on Law and Order, but most significantly to the three of us, he originated the role of Collins in Rent. Mm-hmm. So that was a, certainly a moment of reading yeah. this book and saying, oh, God, I hope they're not friends. No, they don't Googled seem it, to be friends. Yeah. If you Google it, all you find are like 10 listicles are like Ani DeFranco and Jesse L. Martin went to the same high school. But you don't find any like and here they are now at like not even like and they went to the same fundraiser or something like. Yeah. Only that. So that was a relief. Yeah. He's untainted. The Jesse L. Martin anecdote is also very representative of just the way that this book is littered with the worst name dropping I've ever encountered in my life. And we talked about this some with Matthew McConaughey's book. And I like a celebrity memoir and I like celebrity gossip, even even as I understand that fame is toxic and it could be really damaging, but like I'm human, sue me. And so to me, like to me, the best kind of celebrity gossip is a good story about someone that you already liked. And you're like, yes, this validates my worldview. This person I thought was cool and they did a cool thing. Great. And then the next best kind is a bad story about someone you don't like where you're like, again, (laughs) this validates my worldview. Like I thought you sucked and I heard this, that you were rude to your waiter. (laughs) Ha ha. And then here's what Ani DeFranco is doing is she's, and again, I understand that um, for most normal people, you don't, you don't want to say the bad gossip. Like maybe you're going to have to work with someone else again, or it's just kind of rude or whatever. Like there's plenty of- Not everyone is Kathy Griffin. Right. Yeah. There's plenty of reasons to not say the bad gossip. And so like, for example, we took note that Matthew McConaughey, not once does he mention Jared Leto's name in that book, even when he's talking about Dallas Buyers Club. And part of me is kind of like, I wish that he would have written that Jared Leto is a dick, but I get Mm -hmm. it is classy he's just not talking about it okay but Ina Franco is like so unsatisfying because she'll mention someone and be like and I had a bad encounter with them but then not say what it was or not describe it at all and just move on she's just telling unsatisfying but also mean gossip throughout this whole book and then some of them like early on in the book she like talks about having this beef with Bob Dylan and it comes up a couple times and then it circles back around towards the end to her saying like actually like anytime I met him he was really nice to me and like he seemed really cool but I'm just mad because men hold power over women yeah she mentioned specifically that what she wants is like the opportunity to be Bob Dylan and I'm like oh sweetie even if like everything was equal and the playing fields were leveled, you're not going to be Bob Dylan. Like, I don't even like Bob Dylan. Well, hey, she's no Bob Dylan. Hey, you know, you know what Bob Dylan has is a major record label contract. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he sold the fuck out. For starters. And then we talked about this too, how she 
doesn't seem to work with a lot of women or doesn't talk about them. And the few people that she like really lionizes in this, and it's not a surprise if you're a fan of hers, it's it's Pete Seeger and Utah Phillips and her associations with those two men, you know, it's known like she's recorded albums with Utah Phillips. I think she's the only reason I've ever heard of Utah Phillips personally. Yeah, I liked the folky stuff because my dad's actually a folk musician. So I kind of grew up in that culture. So it was fun getting to see like a few little cameos of people who I've actually met in real life. But yeah, she spends so much time on just those two men. And the the part about Pete Seeger especially bugged me because it's just written really poorly. She she introduces him to by saying like, you know, my friend Pete is such and such and such. And she goes on about what a great guy he is for four paragraphs. And only after four paragraphs does she say, oh, by the way, I'm talking about Pete Seeger. It, it was the part to me that felt the most like, and and when I say most, this entire book is so self-aggrandizing and smug. <laughs> but it was the part to me that I had to like, I was like, you know what, let's take a break and do some laundry. Because it, it felt so incredibly name droppy and so incredibly like well Pete Seeger you know like he saw me at a show and he came up to me and like all these terrible things had happened in his life but I'm so important to him that he came up to me to tell like every story she told about him was about how much he liked her Mm -hmm. yeah and it it like I mean the whole and the whole book is like that the whole book is her like essentially talking about like how great people thought she was <laughs> and how great she thinks she is. But it like, I just, I was like, of all the people to do that with, you choose Pete Seeger. <laughs> like what? What? Yeah. It's actually kind of funny. Cause at the end she kind of makes it out to be like, she's actually very uncomfortable talking about herself. And she does talk a lot about other people. Like she'll spend an entire, you know, four pages just to be like, one time I met my friend Shawnee and she was a babe and like so tall and had blonde hair and she was really badass. But I don't think that she's actually uncomfortable talking about herself. I think she wants to pretend that he, that she is and that's why she talks about other people. But you're right. She only talks about other people in the context of making herself look good. Like she even there's a point where where Prince comes up and she talks about like having met Prince and having like recorded. I, I'm not familiar enough with her work past a certain point to know if like the track that she recorded with him actually ended up on one of his albums. I think it did. Um, But it like the whole point of him show like every time that she begins from the time she begins referring to him through like the story she tells like it is once again kind of like about how great he clearly thought she was well until they actually get into the studio and he realizes that she doesn't really know how to play guitar which is hilarious because at that point she had been playing music for like 20 years and like really in that entire time you didn't learn what the key of g means like that whole time. Well, and the funny thing about that too is at this time, Ani was touring with Maceo Parker, who was like a jazz funk type musician. And Maceo ended up touring with Prince after that. So it was like, oh, d- were you actually just like Maceo's plus one to this whole thing? Like, did, did <laughs> Prince really just want this guy, but you were on tour with him at that time? And so you kind of had to tag along? Yeah. And then she brags about introducing them. Yeah. Um. Oh, one other. Okay. Another celebrity who is sort of name dropped in this, and 
Ayn Franco has a song called Napoleon that's maybe one of her better known songs. And it's about she's complaining about this other artist who's who's sold out. And like, you know, they told you your music would sell millions and you could make a killing. And it was at least I Googled this again. I guess it's never been confirmed, but it's like widely rumored to be about Suzanne Vega, who is also I mean, if Suzanne Vega sold out like barely. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she had a record label or whatever, but, and she had some radio song. Like if you are listening to this and you don't know Suzanne Vega, like you might know my name is Luca. Anyway, you can Google it. It's fine. Tom she's, Steiner. Tom Steiner. She's like a, Steiner. a mildly famous folk singer as you can be and be a folk singer. Do you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. Of the tiers of famous folk singers. Yeah. Yes. She's, yeah. She's towards the top. <laughs> yes. But, um, so when Ani DeFranco was living this like wildly neglected childhood, oh, we should talk about the title of the book, which is No Walls and the Recurring Dream, which 100% sounds like it should be the title of a memoir of like, you know, a Mexican immigrant who was a dreamer, yeah. like capital D dreamer. Yes. But it's yeah. not. It's Ani DeFranco's book. And <laughs> her mom had been an architect and designed this like weird round house that had no interior walls, which truly does sound like a nightmare to grow up in. And like, yes, I get it. But um, in her, like, neglected childhood, she was nine and, like, going around accompanying this older male folk singer named, um, like, Michael Maldrum. He is not Suzanne Vega-level famous. Yeah. Um, But so she is, like, going around, like, a literal child just playing folk concerts with this old man, no parents around. Very sketch. But through this, she meets Suzanne Vega because Suzanne Vega also either is from Buffalo or like played there a lot. And so as a literal child, she kind of got to know Suzanne Vega. And then when she is like 20, she goes to Europe and she goes to some British music festival and like sneaks in to go and talk to Suzanne Vega. And she's like, Suzanne, it's me, Ani. And Suzanne's like, sorry, what? Oh, Suzanne Vega is, I think like, Oh, hi. And that way where you clearly don't know who the person is, but you don't want to, yeah, like Suzanne Vega, she's not rude to Ani, but she's also yeah. not like, oh, of course, this child that I met like 10 years ago. <laughs> um, And on, and that's clearly what Ani had thought, because in her child's mind, she thought they were like friends. But in Suzanne Vega's mind, I'm sure it was like, who is this weird stray child? This is cute, but like, what's happening? Yeah. And then, and then they don't really talk again. And then Suzanne Vega never comes back. And now I'm like circling back. I'm like, wait, is this why she's mad at Suzanne Vega? <laughs> Cause she, and this, I guess is not stated outright. This is just now like my fan theory, but also based on everything that I now know about Ani DeFranco, I feel like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It is very, I mean, and that's so many of her like weird beefs seem to be like that between that and the Bob Dylan one that is like, oh, actually, he's never done anything mean to me. In fact, he's been very kind to me. Like, it's just very, it's it's that, you know, it's that like 15 year old mentality of carrying around these grudges for decades against people who like didn't really do anything super bad to begin with and have completely forgotten the incident like it's also that that tweet that's like twitter is just people get imagining a guy and getting mad at that guy (laughs) that's her whole life (laughs) yes and i don't want to i don't want to totally run her down because i do think that she has actually accomplished a lot like 
you know, we're talking about like, like, oh, she's really self-aggrandizing. And I don't think she would need to be because I think she really has accomplished a lot of things that are impressive and good. And she doesn't need to be so fucking unhinged about it. Like as much <laughs> as much as she doesn't want to be like known for being a businesswoman or whatever, like her starting her label, Righteous Babe Records, like that was really influential. And as many mistakes as went into it at, that go into this book where she's like, yeah, I didn't really know how to do business. And it's like, yes, but somehow you did do a business and it was important to a lot of people. And like her activism, I would say maybe especially earlier on before she maybe sort of lost the thread. Like she was speaking up about really importantly, you know, she um, talked openly about abortion and, and continues to talk, but like, I'm saying in the nineties, not maybe so many people are doing this as had her level of platform. Um, and, you know, and talking about gay rights, like she did do a lot that was good. And that was, you know, very, again, very meaningful to me as a teenager. And I think meaningful to a, a ton of people. And so she doesn't need to have such a chip on her shoulder. She could just be like, Oh, I'm looking back. I'm realizing that even though to me, I was just like a dumb 20 year old doing whatever, like this was actually meaningful to people. And that's cool. And I just think there are grains of a great life story in this book. And the book is so hard to read, even if you want it to be good. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, everything is very unmoored in time. Like there's no coherent timeline so she's jumping back and forth between things, but she's also not saying what year anything takes place. So it's very unhinged. And she also, I've never read a book more desperately in need of an editor. I don't yes. think it's, it's just, it could have been so much tighter and I don't think I would have hated it nearly enough, but it's just, it's not well-written and it's very all over the place and it's ironic again matthew mcconaughey's memoir <laughs> the worst part of it was that he embedded all of his poems into it and his poems are very bad <laughs> matthew mcconaughey like good actor fine memoirist bad poet and i think i hope this isn't too hot of a take i think her poems are pretty good mostly they're fine there were a couple of in the ones that are included there were a couple of lines that made me cringe but you know she's a talented lyricist and she's a talented songwriter and I think because of that she went into this being like I can totally write a memoir and it's like well no you can't and that's why most celebrities hire ghostwriters um and that's the difference between a good celebrity memoir and whatever this is is that she has no one to take these random anecdotes and make them into a coherent narrative Yes. And she's powerful enough that she can be like, no, I don't, you know, this is just me, like unpolished, like whatever. And it's like, okay, like, okay, I guess. Yeah, it feels like a, it feels kind of like a book that was released independently, but it's actually, you know, it was released by a pretty big publisher. Yeah, it's, it, it is just, and I, I feel like I've maybe already said this, but I'm just going to keep saying it because it's just what I believe in my heart, which is that like everything about her according to this memoir it's like she baked in these feelings and ideas and thought processes and um viewpoints about the world and her activism and everything else in like 1998 mm -hmm. but now it's 2021 
and none of that has changed with the times. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's still, it's still, because, you know, Renata, what Renata was saying about, like, her activism and, and the things she was saying, like, they were important. Like, they did, her speaking out on these topics in the 90s, like, did feel revolutionary. You know, it yeah. did feel like, why is nobody else talking about this? Whereas now... It's not like I'm not saying that, you know, everybody talks openly about abortion now or that like it's not like a hot button topic or that, you know, abortions are all safe and legal for everyone and it's not an <laughs> issue anymore. But like it's not as rare to talk about things like that now as it was then. And for her to keep speaking about it as if it is and like all the gender stuff, the gender stuff drove me crazy. Like she throws one like gender as a spectrum in there at one point, but so much of it is masculine people are like this and feminine Mm -hmm. people are like this. And that's what it is. The feminine is the divine and we're all related to the goddess and it has something to do with our periods. Yes. Masculine people just are better at mechanical stuff, which is why (laughs) you have like masculine guys doing your sound tech for like, it's very... And and it, it just like throughout the whole thing in her like weird non-apology, which I think I'm going to read a little bit of for like her doing the Michigan Women's Festival and their like that whole, if you're unfamiliar with that, it was this um, very famous women's folk festival that was by women for women, only who are women born Yeah, women. women born women. And by the way, women in every instance that we've said it so far is spelled with a Y. Women yes. with a Y, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's this one part where she talks about having an abortion um, and going like basically straight from having the abortion to doing a show. And she goes on stage and reads this Lucille Clifton poem. And that section actually made me feel really emotional. Um, And I was like, oh, my God, she's actually like saying real things about, you know, pregnancy and abortion and motherhood. And then she just takes a hard, hard left turn into gender essential biotruths. And it's so, so messed up. It's uh, okay. And by the way, it's hard sometimes because I tend to think that our podcast audience is basically just people of our exact demographic. But then, (laughs) for example, like, hi, mom. My mom is probably listening, and my mom probably hasn't heard the word turf before. And so. Turf is a is trans exclusive radical feminism, which is exclusionary. Oh, exclusionary. I think. Um. Yes. Where basically, you know, you you are like to me. What's important about being a woman is like my reproductive system, and and this all of this kind of like mother goddess shit that Ida Franco is on. Yeah. Where it's like, and it is very kind of like second wave, and like we need to um we need to speak up for the fact that women are different from men. And then you kind of can go too hard into that and then, well, literally exclude trans women versus I think now most normal and sane feminists are like, yeah, like trans women are women. If, you know, if you say you're a woman, you're a woman and it doesn't um, matter what reproductive organs you have or don't have, you know, and that's not. Yeah, because not every cis woman has the ability to reproduce or gets periods or anything like that. Right. 
So just in a nutshell, and I don't mean to like gloss over this too much. And again, I do assume most people listening like, no. And if you don't like, that's a little nugget and you can Google turf later and just make sure that you aren't one. Um, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Please. Um, but it, it just, it is, this book is, is dripping with it. Yes. Yeah. And we were, we had this conversation where we were like, is Ani DeFranco a turf? And I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. She would necessarily identify as one, but she's like adjacent. Okay. So I, yeah. Okay. So let's get into it. So Michigan women's festival, as we say, that is for women born women and, and it's, it was really long running. It went for like 40 years or something up. The last one was in 2015. And when it first started, you know, the way that feminists and the way that, you know, humans have talked about transgender people has evolved. And again, and this is where I feel like if she had been like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought this way in the 90s and I don't now. Like, I'm not going to pretend that I have always been the perfect like transgender ally because when I was a teenager, yeah. like, I don't know. I didn't know where to read about this. This wasn't something that was being taught. It wasn't, I didn't know. I didn't, anyway. And then I read more books and met more people and so on. And Ani DeFranco, I don't know, did that part. But so <laughs> as as the transgender rights movement got, you know, more vocal, people started more and more complaining like, hey, how can you have this women's festival and not allow trans women? Like that sucks. And meanwhile, Ani DeFranco went and, to, and performed at, Mishfest, and she was outraged because they have they divide up the audience into sections and there's like one section for if you have children with you and one if you don't have children with you and there's a scent free zone which to her was like the most comical thing she's like you're at a concert like it's gonna smell weird why you're gonna have an area for people who don't wear perfume and it's like well, some people are allergic. Like, that's not the yeah. most ridiculous thing about this. That's the most, that is the actual most, re- that's the most reasonable thing about Mitch Fest. That's the part where I was like, you know, if these people weren't like terrible turfs, I totally go. Cause that sounds great. It sounds great to have a section for smokers and a section for non smokers and a section where the kids can be and a section for the people who are like, ew, kids can be. Yes. And so then the next day or shortly after that, she went and performed at a different folk festival and sort of made some jokes about about the situation at, at Mishfest. And then she got some backlash about that. And but it wasn't because she said anything about them not allowing <laughs> trans women, which is like the reason to be mad about trans women. And then meanwhile, the Indigo Girls are mentioned a few times in this, and I'm sure it will come as no surprise to anyone that, like, yeah, I also like the Indigo Girls. Big deal. <laughs> like, big deal. I like the Indigo Girls. And then, first of all, the Indigo Girls, there's two of them, famously, Amy and Emily. And Ani talks about, oh, I met the Indigo, girlfriend, Indigo Girls, and I became really good friends with Amy. And she never mentions Emily, not one time. And I'm like, <laughs> not one single time. What did Emily do? <laughs> and, like... <laughs> Also, I feel like if there is a beef here, I'm preemptively team Emily. Um, <laughs> and then and then they did have a beef where Ani DeFranco casually is like, I gave some interview and I inadvertently uh, made it sound like I didn't respect the Indigo Girls' work, which the Indigo Girls work closely with this um, Native organization called Honor the Earth. And that's kind of always been their thing, at least as long as I've known them. And so somehow she offended them. And... 
and I believe well, she it. said she was doing an interview and she had said like, oh, yeah, like I know the Indigo Girls and I'm friends with Amy and whatever. And then like literally, I guess, in the next question, she said, oh, well, people should only like write about things that they know. They shouldn't try to write about other you know, life experiences beyond their own. And they, like the Indigo Girls, were in the middle of this tour promoting this Native group where they were, like, doing all of this Native outreach and were, like, it it was, like, their very big thing that was happening at that moment. So she literally went from being like, oh, yeah, I love the Indigo Girls. This thing that they're doing, I think, is bad. But it's interesting because the Indigo Girls... They've always worked with Honor there. That's such a long, I guess maybe it was a specific moment, but it's like a long-term partnership that they have. And like, they're from Georgia and they've like worked with the tribe, tribes there. They're just not an Indigo Girls podcast. But anyway, then she says, (laughs) Amy called me up and wanted to talk it out. And Ani just got like more defensive. And even Ani DeFranco was like, and Amy was like really reasonable. And I was shitty about it. And it's rare that Ani, like frequently throughout this book, she describes herself being shitty. But here she was like, oh, and I was being shitty. Yeah. And she kind of uses that to set up this thing that is sort of a theme in like the back half of the book of her being just really burnt out and really depressed but she doesn't know how to take a break and so she keeps just treating people around her horribly like this is the point where she starts cheating on her husband and it was just kind of weird because she presents all of this but she doesn't really talk about what she did to rectify any of it she was just like yeah I did all of this terrible stuff to people and I treated everyone around me terribly but it's because I was very sad Yes. Yeah. And, sh- and there's no, there, it, then, then just end of story. <laughs> end of anecdote. And it's, it's, again, it's like a thing that like when you're, you know, 17 years old is your, ex- like you, eventually you grow up and you learn that yeah. you need to take responsibility for your actions, that your feelings may be valid, but the actions that you commit because of your feelings are not always necessarily valid. I uh, yeah and I I think a lot of it is her just not knowing how to take care of herself and I get that that's because of her childhood I can definitely see how how those two things are directly related um but but yeah she doesn't doesn't take responsibility for it and again I feel like yeah exactly and then I went to therapy and I realized that like because my parents had essentially abandoned me that I didn't know this and I was so so burned out does she know this This would be a very very different book if she had been in therapy at any point yeah but and again like i do i do feel bad for like the things that she went through like she no joke like went through some really bad shit but yeah then she did a bunch of bad shit (laughs) um okay so two things i want to circle back to and this is such a long way around the indigo girls i continue to stand because then i was like oh no what are the indigo girls up to and in 2013 and they also performed at michigan women's fest and in 2013 they announced oh we're not coming back to michigan women's fest unless you guys let in in trans women because you know feminism like this sucks um it was more eloquent when they said it but that was the gist of it and michigan women's festival was like okay bye and so the indigo girls never performed there again and michigan women's festival ended in 2015 partly because so many people were like oh yeah this does like this is not any longer like a defensible position and so then i pulled up this interview that ani defranco did um with um let me double check it's on it's from jezebel 
Oh, it was uh, with Rich Jiswiak. Yeah. I don't know if I'm saying his last name okay, correctly. Yes. But. Um, and so he's pressing her on this. And he says, um, could you explain to me why? It seems to me that in your life as a cis woman, you encounter many other cis women with whom you can discuss reproduction. To have an institution that excludes such a tiny piece of the population would seem only to serve to hurt those people. And she is, this is such, I'm not even going to read this. Like she gives such a it's, bullshit answer. We'll and that's to such it. a, he's so diplomatic about yes. asking. Cause I, I'm going to skip most of her answer. And then she says, within Mish, there was a tent for only black women to go and process what it means to be a black person with ovaries. <sighs> I don't want to say to that tent, you should let me in. Like, okay, that's very different. And then yeah. Rich is answer to that. He says, I guess when the segregation dovetails with the status quo, that's when my antennae go up. Trans people are told practically everywhere, not here. Great point, Rich. And then here's Ani DeFranco's answer to that point. She says, yeah, exactly. I think it's just, that's all I was trying to do. No, this is the opposite. You don't agree with him. And you're saying, yeah, exactly. I think that's all I was trying to do. And then she says, let's not be quick to say to cis women, move over again. Maybe that's the right thing to do, cis women, in this moment. But be careful, society, of telling women that again. And, like, I guess Rich is technically a man, but, like, society at large, like, this is trans women and other feminists telling you not to do this. This isn't, like, capital S society telling you to be more trans inclusive. You suck. Yeah, and it's not, like, it's it's not men. I get wanting to be wary of men telling you that, but it's... Yeah, like you said, it's other women telling you that. Also, literally the exact opposite of that anecdote. Like, (laughs) replace, you know, if you say like, oh, there's a tent for only white women there. Like, that's, you can't, women, if you are comparing cis women to trans women and saying one of these groups should not be forced to be further oppressed. Yeah. Yeah, under the umbrella of women, of womanhood, the cis women are not the ones who, who are having, you know, the, who need to be made space for is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, she, she goes on in the book about saying like, oh, well, like, you know, because like reproductive organs are so important and like rape is still a problem and the way men treat women are still a problem. You don't think those things aren't worse for trans women? Like she's never once actually thought about the issues that trans women face and she allegedly has trans friends because she says in the book oh my trans friends have told me xyz and i'm like that's a lie right that's a lie you don't have trans friends i'm sorry they don't actually like you (laughs) so here's what i think here's my other theory about ani defranco is somewhere in here she says that around 1998 she made a policy of not reading any press about herself and honestly i support that i think that's probably a good choice i mean I get, you know, I get that. I think we see it with, like, for example, authors on Goodreads reading reviews of their books and then feeling bad about it. Even on the teeny tiniest scale, like, I don't like to read reviews of this podcast. Like, say whatever you want in there. I don't want to read it. That's that's for you. Um, But I think what happened is when she was like, I'm going to stop reading my own press. I think she stopped reading everything. I don't think Ani (laughs) DeFranco has touched a newspaper, touched a book since 1998. I think she has just fossilized in that moment. Yeah. And you can't prove otherwise. Not from this book anyway. No, there's there's definitely no proof of that in this book because it only goes up to 2001. Yes, which is which is made me so mad when I got to like I was probably like 
70, 80% of the way through this book when I realized that it was not going to cover her whole life. And this book is 306 pages long. It is. is It's long. It's meandering. It's so long. And it stops at 9-11. Yes. Which I will say is 12 hours long, but she speaks very slowly, even for audiobooks. <laughs> so I was able to listen to it at 2x pretty comfortably. Um, That's good for you. But yeah, no, it does. It, st- it starts and stops around 9-11. A thing that I personally, I, I always, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, I always feel weird saying I have like trauma around 9-11 because I wasn't, no one I was close to died like it wasn't but it is like growing up in that area the way that it was brought into everything political and every it was is very difficult it was a very difficult thing to experience through politics over the years and it still is for me so turning starting this book and having that be like the first thing that was happening i was like this is already going to be bad and then she goes back into it at the end and i was like you know what i'm just gonna keep skipping forward (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so like it passes because the last thing I need to do is like fucking lose my shit because Ani DeFranco is talking about this. It's fair and valid. Well, and how it starts is she's listing all the mistakes that she's made and forgiven herself for. Great job, Ani. <laughs> and one of them is that she wrote this poem inspired by like she was in New York on 9-11 and yeah. she wrote a poem about it called Self-Evident that like I saw her perform in the year 2001 and Again, as a teen activist, I was like, wow, like so smart. Like she is speaking truth yep. to power, but actually just to her audience. <laughs> but <laughs> there's <laughs> one line in there that made me really angry reading it in retrospect, which was take away our PlayStations and we're a third world nation. Yeah. Mm. Like it doesn't I hate it. Up. It doesn't. And there's other things where I'm like, that's whack. But I'm just saying, like living in me and my truth in 2001, like I was. When we were all, I thought it was very deep. It was at very the time. deep. Yes, and I think that's I've learned and grown since then, and I genuinely feel like Ani DeFranco hasn't. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And she talks a lot about how you know having becoming a mother um, really changed her, but we don't get any of that in this book because it again it only goes up to two thousand and one, and I think her daughter is like thirteen right now, so. You know, it's it gets nowhere close to her becoming a mother. Yeah. Um, and I wish we had got, especially in the context of like how terrible her childhood was and how terrible with her relationship her mother was. Because uh, she goes, she invites her mother at one point to live with her as an adult and her mother just shuts down. Her mother is like, you know, very clearly having a lot of problems and they have a terrible relationship. Um, and I would have been interested in reading like how she approached motherhood from that perspective and trying to, you know, undo, you know, the sins of our forefathers or whatever. But yeah, not important. What's important is talking about the time that she had hitchhiked through Mexico with her friend. Which also, I, I thought the part when she hitchhiked through Mexico was one of the more interesting parts of the book. Um, even though it's not really related to anything, this again goes back to Matthew McConaughey's memoir. And I just... <laughs> Like, I like a travel narrative. I like that. And so I was like, oh, this seems kind of fun. Even though also I think you're, you're in my notes to this, I use the word dumb, like way too many times. Like, I'm just like, you seem dumb. Every choice that you're making seems dumb. 
<laughs> oh, it was a terrible decision. And I she doesn't at all, you know, recognize the privilege that she had as a white woman to be hitchhiking alone with a friend through Mexico in the late 90s because she, you know, I grew up on the border. I grew up in El Paso, Texas, on the border with Ciudad Juarez. And um, between 1993 and 2005, 370 Mexican women were killed and murdered. It was a very, very dangerous time to be a single Hispanic woman alone in Chihuahua. And she just is sort of like, this is going to be a fun adventure for me, a white woman who nothing bad ever happens to. Except that bad things do happen to her. Not in Mexico. Like Not in Mexico, thank God. Like They seem to just have a genuinely fun time in Mexico. The worst thing that happens is that they can't find any women to be friends with. And I'm like, well, maybe women just didn't want to be friends with you. <laughs> maybe it's not Mexican women in specific. Maybe it's just that like you're a weird white gringa hanging around in women's restrooms. <laughs> yeah, she specifically says like we didn't see women around, so we went to hang out in women's restrooms. And again... Which is so weird. So, That's the weirdest thing. It's so weird. And it's one thing if she'd been like, oh, and we thought that when we were like young and sleep deprived. But writing the book now, she doesn't go and say like, and in retrospect, that was weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like she goes, she goes home with some like Mexican soldiers and like stays at their place and nothing bad happens, which is obviously great. I don't want bad things to happen for her. But... And that's a very privileged way of walking around in the world. Especially because, like, in it, it's not even just, like, with this in particular, which is what makes me think that it's the whole book, it's not even necessarily, like, a weird ham-fisted idea of being, like, I'm going to write this in the mindset that I was when it was happening. Because she explicitly says at the beginning of this section, she lists all, like, the things that she did that were, like, wild while she was on this trip to Mexico. And says, like, the only thing I would tell my daughter not to do is hitchhike. Like, going yeah. home with strangers. going Like, all these other things that she does that, like, basically she's probably only alive because she is a white woman. Yeah, like, sitting alone at the bridge for, like, 24 hours and then, just, you know, meeting this guy. And he's like, hey, I know a hotel room. And you go and it's, like, this weird person's house and there's two beds. And you're just like, oh, I'm really glad I didn't get raped. Yeah, like, every – literally – she says, like, any other thing that I did, I would tell my daughter to, like, do an experience. But I would say don't hitchhike. And it, so it's not even like she's – she's because that's what I kept thinking. I was like, maybe she's just trying to write this, like, from the perspective that she was in at the time. But no, like, it becomes clear – there that it's not like these are things that she still thinks this yeah. my greatest hope is that Ani DeFranco's daughter ends up being very very square because <laughs> I am the I am the child of like extremely hippie parents um Same. Renata I know you are as well Same. yeah our parents have a lot in common I was very very square in high school I Same. compared to my mom I was like so boring and i hope that ani defranco's daughter um also kind of rebels against that <laughs> same and by the way my mom also told me explicitly not to hitchhike like of all the crazy things she same. did in the 60s she's oh, like same. but don't hitchhike like yeah the rest totally. of it, it's fine don't hitchhike so i guess that's our yeah. message to you podcast listeners is don't <laughs> hitchhike yeah but if you do my dad will probably pick you up <laughs> and that's chill because my dad's cool yeah um I, I do want to say there's another she talks a lot I'm like going through the notes trying to see if there's anything else I want to talk about before we move on yeah. and like 
she she also throughout kind of presents herself as being like above racism yeah not as anti-racist but as like a a wise white person who's better than racism yeah yeah like it's nothing that's ever touched her yeah and it's it's like like she brings it up over and over again and there's a point where she talks about how like she shaved her head in the late 80s early 90s to get guys to stop hitting on her all the time and she started to realize that like people were treating her like they were afraid of her when they saw her in public and she turns that into this like and that's how i know how black people feel yep and it was so and by the way she never addresses or maybe she made mentions at one point that she also had dreadlocks in the 90s but she She meant she talks about it in the context that she was very depressed and they somehow just sprung up out of her head yeah that's the phrasing that she uses yeah but she never talks about like the appropriation of having them she talks about like there's one point where she calls like herself and her black friend and her polish american friend like the like the diversity coalition of buffalo or something and I think that yeah. he does think that being Italian American is basically the same as being black. <laughs> and hey, it's not. It's not. <laughs> yeah, in America. Yeah, and so she did go to the new school, and so she does talk about while she was there, she did read a lot of black feminist writers. Like she was reading Audre Lorde, she was reading Bell Hooks, she was reading Angela Davis, yeah. and she talks about how those writers influenced her and how they kind of changed her life. But there's no real evidence of that. I think it's. <laughs> I think she really is just saying that to be like, I'm woke and I've read Audre Lorde, and it's like, well, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, she and, does and then, use woke unironically at one point, yeah. which was very on brand. She also, if you read. I don't think she talks about it in the book, but if you read, you know, recent interviews with her, she's real mad about cancel culture. She does not like it. Shocking. Yeah. Yeah. She also doesn't like the internet, which is so interesting. No. I, which I kept thinking about how interesting that is because I think part of the reason that I liked her so much in the 90s is because it was so hard. I think we got internet maybe in 2000 at my house. Like, we got internet late because we lived in such a rural area and mm-hmm. it wasn't it was bad the internet then was bad and it was just like hard to find things um and there were message boards obviously which is how i met you too but it was hard to find things and so i think the only reason i even heard of Anna defranco is because she did have like one radio hit and i heard that and like yeah went to the record store like had to like seek this out but the other artists who didn't even have like any radio hits like it was hard to find them and it was hard to find feminist um activism like whatever like for me as a high schooler like this is what i could find and this you know her openly calling herself feminist this activism spoke to me but i didn't have a ton of other people that i could compare her to because i couldn't find them and now i think it's maybe too easy i don't know maybe now it's overwhelming because there's so many but you know you can go on youtube you can go on spotify you can go on tiktok like whatever you can find so many artists and there's been this is a whole other subject of like what does a record label even mean anymore and you know Mm -hmm. what does the radio even mean anymore it's such a different landscape for discovering things but to me i think having things be so easily available on the internet is good overall and And i I think think she would 
I think she would be happy if everything was like very much still 90s DIY culture where the only way that you could discover her music was to like get a copy of a tape from someone. Yeah. And like, you know, you had to just be in the know and you had to be on her mailing list. Yeah, it feels like it, it... It almost feels like she should like the internet because I yeah. feel like the internet does allow that sort of like, because she's so anti, like listen, reading this book, you would think that the only people who could be true fans of hers are people who just like psychically accidentally stumble upon her doing yep. a show somewhere. Yep. And like, she doesn't want people to buy things from her, including her records. She doesn't want to sell merch. She doesn't want to be on the radio. She doesn't want to be on television. She especially she, doesn't want to be in magazines. Yeah. Like she doesn't, want any of this kind of publicity and while I do understand this like you know like I said like 15 year old hipster idea of like any time you're have any exposure it's selling out like you it just I don't under she wants to be the next Bob Dylan but she doesn't want anyone she doesn't want finding her music to be easy (laughs) to anyone right like you can't you can't be the next Bob Dylan if at the same time you're like but I don't want any exposure for any of my music only the truest people the best fans the most dedicated people can hear my music yeah and again I I completely can understand that she would have very uh overwhelming fans and I can imagine that if she were an active Twitter user, like her mentions would be a mess. Oh yeah. And I get kind of wanting to opt out of that, but also calm down. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But also like, you know, young people are still doing cool DIY culture stuff on the internet. Yes. Um, that hasn't gone away just because, you know, now it's easier to connect to someone on the other side of the country. Um, You know, like I said, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, which is a, you know, very deeply unhip place. (laughs) Um, So if it really weren't for the fact that my my one of my high school best friends had moved from um, Georgia and her mom, you know, was connected into the like Athens, Georgia music scene and kind of knew about all of this stuff, I probably wouldn't have known about Ani DeFranco. And perhaps you'd be better for it. (laughs) That is probably true. Um, Do we want to talk about her kind of weird body issues? Oh, yeah. Yep. That was the the last thing that I wanted to. um... Yeah. So at the beginning of the book, there's a section about how kind of before she discovered music, she was a dancer. And if you listen to Ani DeFranco talk for five minutes, she will let you know that she is very tiny. Mm-hmm. She's a very, very small woman. She's a little um, girl. So, she still calls herself a girl. She, she is almost 50. Yes. Yeah, she's she's a very petite, very tiny. Um, and so she talks about being in dance, about how, you know, even though she is, again, very small, there was this pressure on her to gain weight and, you know, people telling no, her to she lose was too weight. fat, which is a, sorry, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, which is, you know, that's not good. That's bad. But the way that she talks about it, basically, she's like, yeah, for a while I had an eating disorder and I let it get to me. But then I was like, you know what? Eating disorders are dumb. And I got over it. And then I discovered music and never had to interrogate that part of myself again. (laughs) Fully. But spoiler alert. It's a continuing theme through the rest of her life. Yes. Whenever she refers to herself, she's always talking about how like little and small she is. 
And again, this is the kind of thing where I do expect more from you. Like if you're going to be a feminist icon or whatever, like you do need to actually unpack your kind of body image issues a little bit more, I think, than you have done. Yeah, you kind of have a responsibility as someone who's presenting yourself as a feminist. You you have a responsibility to the women who are reading your book, in my opinion. And especially, you know, she talks about like, oh, I shaved my head so that people wouldn't find me attractive. But then later a little bit, she's like, oh, I gained some weight and then I wouldn't be attractive. Anymore, so I definitely had to lose that weight because yeah. she gets a roommate yep. who eats ice cream and then she eats a lot of ice cream and then she gains weight. And that's horrible. It's we're Yeah, I'm going to read a bit from that section later and it's going to be great. <laughs> Yeah, it's very it's I mean it's just this this whole this whole thing of just this is what she felt and she thought in 1997 and mm-hmm. there's no need to update it. There's no I, she doesn't have to admit that she was wrong about things or things changed. She knows what's right and yeah. because she was oppressed at certain points in her life, she is beyond criticism. Yeah, and you brought this up earlier, Kate, was her reaction to, like, wearing makeup is bad, and anytime I would go for a photo shoot, they'd try to put makeup on me and change my clothes. And it's like, well, you know, I'm sure that there probably were some people who were like, we need, we want to make you look more traditionally attractive for our magazine, but there probably were also some people who were like, no, we just want to make sure that you don't look washed out on camera. Yeah, um, and like the clothes you're wearing photograph well. Yeah. Like there are some very basic things that you have to do in order to be in a photograph. <laughs> yeah, that's what there's a point where she like explicitly says that she said, can we just do light makeup? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then she looked at what they thought were, was light makeup and she started crying. And I'm like, but you need to understand that this is this is an art. It's not like they're like, oh, we need to gussy you up. It's like, well, there's going to be lights and flashes yeah. and backgrounds. And we need to make sure you actually appear like a human on film. Yeah, like I had that reaction to putting on stage makeup when I was nine and started <laughs> acting in plays. <laughs> Uh, And then I got over it. And I think that there would actually be some really interesting material if she were willing to engage with it and to be like, I thought I was so feminist and I didn't think I could possibly be affected by male, by body Mm -hmm. image issues because I didn't think I cared about the male gaze, but it turned out I did. And like, here's what I had to do to kind of process that. But she's not getting to that last step of it. And, and I wish she would like for all of our sakes. Yeah. yeah, that's just the the reoccurring theme of the book, like I said, is wanting her to be more introspective and then realizing that it's kind of on you for thinking that she would do that because she's not. It's, and it's just weird because, again, her songs from the 90s, like they are introspective and she is interrogating like mm-hmm. intense feelings, but just not these ones. And these ones, I guess she never will. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess... Uh, I guess we should move on to our dramatic readings. Yeah. Just give you like an unadulterated dose of Ms. Ani DeFranco. Um, So I'm going to read you a little bit from the very introduction, which in retrospect, this really did set the tone for all of us. I remember being on stage once in a tight little dress, the bottom of which kept riding up my thighs all the way to my crotch as I moved around and sang. Why was it doing this? my face growing hotter and hotter as I tried to hide behind my guitar. I remember once walking out in New York City to get some kind of queer award and getting booed for not being queer enough before I even reached the podium. 
I remember seeing something warpy and reflective from stage. It was in Amsterdam and saying on mic, what the fuck is that? Only to walk over and see it was a young woman in the audience living with such severe palsy that she had to lie back in a special wheelchair with an elaborate series of mirrors in which to see the world beyond her knees. In other words, I've had many experiences of being on stage and wanting to die or disappear. I've had many experiences of being trapped in spotlights and time suddenly slowing way down. The sound of my own blood pounding in my ears, taking over from some distant sonic background in which angry words are flung at me from a deep darkness. Okay. And then I'm skipping kind of a middle section there. And then she concludes with, I will never know what is the right balance in art between painful truths and painful silences. There is no right balance to be known. It is a question to be asked of every moment, and its answer pertains only to that moment and no other. It's the spontaneous deal we strike with others, the conversation or lack thereof. Having played my part every which way, I'm not even sure what I'd recommend. I just know that we need to be willing to make mistakes. I know that we need to allow for our differences. I know we need to forgive each other. I've managed to transcend my own trepidation many times, and I've lifted whole groups of people up with me, and of course I've also failed miserably. I have caught glimpses along the way of something very powerful, and I'm not sure that I can tell you what it is, but if you give me a chance, maybe whatever it is will show itself. Which brings me back to that night in the mid-90s, I was quite young at that time, when that god-awful dress kept riding up my ass. It took me about four songs before I decided that the only thing to do was take the dress off. There was no fixing of the problem, only the conquering of fear. Get ready. The truth is too valuable to put safety first. Get set. No amount of exposure is unbearable unless you've let it be. Go. If you get caught with your pants down, take them off. Yeah, so by the way, nowhere in there does she say, uh, sometimes apologize. <laughs> <laughs> That's not one of her core tenets. No. All right. So um, next up is Sophie. And by the way, I should mention, I tried to read this book sincerely as a former fan. Like this came out in 2019 and I saw it and was like, oh yeah, I'll check that out. Like I, I did used to be a really big fan of Annie DeFranco. Let me check out her book. And it was unbearable. I stopped reading after a few chapters, right after the point Sophie is about to read, which is pretty early yeah. on in the book. I stopped reading. I was like, I can't read this for fun, but maybe I'll make the podcast suffer. And here we are. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is a section. This is sort of shortly after she moves to New York on her own. She spends a lot of time describing various apartments that she lived in and various roommates that she had. So one day, my friend Daniel, a gay dancer who, when I, whom I'd worked with back in Buffalo, called to say he was moving to New York, and could he crash with me until he found a place? He slept on our couch with his big feet hanging off the first night, but then the next night he asked, can I just sleep in your bed with you? Oh, okay, was all I think could think to say. And so it went that Daniel and I spent a few weeks spooning on my futon while he reinvented his life in the city. One day, we were sitting in a diner eating greasy eggs, and he let out a tiny squeak like a little pink balloon. I looked up and he was making crazy eyeballs at me, whispering, don't look, but the dude in the next booth is a porn star. Of course I looked. When I got home, when we got home, he treated me to a magazine centerfold featuring the man from the diner. The dude was waxed completely hairless and spread eagled for the camera. Yow, cock and balls look so weird without hair, I said. Yeah, Daniel agreed, giggling. 
Daniel had a habit of buying and consuming a pint of Haagen-Dazs ice cream every evening, and unfortunately, when we were running partners, I fell into this habit with him. He was a six-foot-four strapping young man, and his body made quick work of it, but my body got overwhelmed. I gained weight, and my face was suddenly covered in acne. It was years before I would catch on that dairy was not a thing that my skin can deal with. My face becomes an oil slick. I had many very humbling experiences of standing on stages with zits all over my face in the meantime. Very, very humbling. I want to tap the shoulders of people with pimples and just whisper into their ear, one word, dairy, doctors don't know shit. Stop eating it completely for at least four months to reset your system. Maybe six. Just trust me. Like, hey, Ani, I don't. (laughs) <laughs> yeah um my notes so I have a bunch of post-it note flags that I kind of was putting as I was reading this book with notes on them my notes for that just say what also why like I think that's a really good example of just the complete randomness of her stories like what why did either of those anecdotes need to be included why do we need to know about your friend Daniel he doesn't ever come up again no. Like, he has no bearing on the story whatsoever. Well, he that how else would she have learned that she can't handle dairy? I get. Yeah, she just really, really wanted us to know that we should stop eating dairy. Not for ethical meat reasons, mind right, you. Right. Just because it gives you zits. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read a little bit about um, her time performing at the Michigan Women's Festival. And, you know, prepare yourselves for that. Sound checking that afternoon, I was reassured to find the engineers and stage crew friendly, competent, and professional. I had a moment standing there on the main stage, looking out at all the infrastructure, the stages and sound systems, the towers and tents and showers and canteens, when I felt suddenly overwhelmed by the fact that all of this had been made by women alone. One becomes so used to the fact that men, white men to be exact, run and control everything that to remind oneself that there are even places on the globe that are built and run entirely by men of different hues is hard enough, let alone to imagine that the world can keep turning without any men at all. It is surprising, even for a female who believes herself no less capable, to actually experience a world built and run by women. When you've never experienced something, it has the subliminal effect of making you believe it is not possible. Of course, no sooner had I inhaled the beauty of my empowering moment than I noticed all these thin strings crisscrossing the field in front of me where the audience would later be seated. After sound check, I walked out to investigate. I found that the audience area had been divided into many sections so that no one audience member would have to suffer the proximity of someone else who might disturb them. There were children welcome zones and no children zones, dancing and no dancing zones, smoking and non-smoking, even a zone designated perfume or scent free. What the fuck? Why can't we all just get along? The quest to make everyone happy all the time seemed to have led to a world of micromanagement in its place. Extreme inclusion had circled back upon itself to become its opposite. Big shout out to the old yin yang symbol, yin yang symbol here, perhaps the most profound and astute rendering made by a human hand. I mean, maybe highly designed intentional communities serve good purposes, and I was just in the wrong one for me, or maybe it was just their style of delivery, but in any case, I wanted to get the hell out of there. I never missed the male, huh, what? 
approach to the emotional landscape so much. The masculine ability to just focus on a task without getting all up in your feels in the absence of gender oppression showed itself to me as kind of as a kind of grace. I made the mistake of shit-talking the Michigan Women's Festival after I left there, spinning as I was in my disappointment. I made some enemies in doing so. I have since learned some things that have helped me to empathize more fully with the struggles that these women were facing. To say it was an uphill battle to do what they were doing would be an understatement. They operated under a constant threat of violence from their redneck neighbors and were openly terrorized by pickup trucks full of shotgun-wielding homophobes. I empathize with them, especially now that their festival is gone after coming under heavy fire for 10 years from the people directly to their left and to their right. And no, I don't mean the rednecks. Mish was an institution that survived for 40 years and provided a space for women to feel unashamed and unafraid for one week. But it became most heavily criticized by a transgender movement that protested its women-born-women admission policy. The festival's mission statement of being a place for women-born women remained unchanged despite fierce protestations. Trans activists mounted a boycott of the fest and set up a trans camp down the road. They even began boycotting individual artists who played at the festival. A dark cloud of strife and infighting descended and the skies would never be clear again. I personally find that the saddest and most depressing fact of all. I sympathize with both sides, but can't help but mourn the tendency of people to lean towards absolutism and mutual destruction. I understand the need for trans women to find community with and be accepted by other women, and I understand the need for people with reproductive systems, perceived female from birth, to make space to process their particular relationship to the patriarchy. We still live in a rape culture. We still live in a world where people with ovaries do not own their own bodies or possess all of their own basic civil rights. Yeah, no, um, it's really bad. She sucks. And this actually is a great segue into Reader's Advisory because my other teen girl music fave was Tori Amos. And Tori Amos famously works with um, Rain, which is the Rape and um, Rape Abuse Incest National Network. Like it's a foundation that helps provide support for survivors of rape which Tori Amos also publicly talked about, you know, surviving rape. And so that's kind of her cause that she's most closely affiliated with. And after reading this, A, for Reader's Advisory, Tori Amos came out with a book last year called Resistance. And I was a little hesitant to read it because I was so badly burned by trying to read Ani's dumb book. But I, I like Tori's book. It's, it's more self-reflective It's better. Like, I'm not going to say if you don't like Tori Amos, like, oh, my God, you have to go read this. But if you're a fan of hers, you will read it and you won't be, like, embarrassed. And she kind of talks about, like, her own um, history with with working for social justice and working with different organizations. And she talks about the history of some of the songs or, like, explains them a little bit, which is great because Tori Amos songs are hard to decipher. (laughs) <laughs> and Ani does not do that at all also in this book no. um, she actively talks about how she hates it when people ask who her songs are about even though I will say like reading this some of those it's very obvious like oh like now, oh, I, yeah. now I understand the song Gravel when you talk about this so, anyway Tori Amos's book is fine but then also I was like wait has Tori Amos done anything whack about trans people now I gotta check in on this situation and um she, 
she hasn't that I could find, which is great. And then also recently she posted, um, Rain had did a special video about the the particular ways that trans people are especially at risk for sexual assault. Yep. And she shared that and she, you know, it wasn't really a big statement directly from her, but she shared this and said, you know, like heart emoji, take care or whatever. Like, and that's, she's acknowledging that trans people exist, that they can survive um, rape just as cis women and also just as cis men, like that it's an issue that affects everyone. And I and Franco over here in 2019 is like, yeah, well, cis women need to have our own festival because of rape like what no it just yeah which is that i think is a very turfy dog whistle yes um because that is a thing that turfs talk a lot is about how trans women are actually just men who want access to women's spaces because they want to sexually assault women um that Uh, is a huge turf talking point yeah and just like gross and just bad Anyway, yes. so if you, like me, were a fan of Tori Amos in the 90s, I think you can can rest easy on that one, at least. <laughs> uh, I put, so I put on the reader's advisory list um, Dar Williams' latest book, which is called What I Found in a Thousand Towns, which I'll be honest with you, I found largely pretty boring. Huh. It's not a memoir. It's about town planning, mostly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it was much better than this book, though. <laughs> I will say that much. If you're interested in in town planning and environmentalism and community building and multiculturalism, it is. I'm sure you would like it. It wasn't (laughs) bad. I just didn't care that much, to be honest. Um, I also put uh, "Broken Horses," which is Brandy Carlisle's new memoir that's coming out. I think around the same time this episode comes out. Obviously, we haven't read it yet, but it can't be worse than this. Can't be worse. God, I hope not. Yeah. Um, I put Jessica Simpson's memoir, Open Book, because I think it's a good example of what a competent ghostwriter can do to (laughs) a celebrity memoir, because Jessica Simpson also had a really, really terrible childhood. Um, She had also a lot of really bad things happen to her, and this book does put it in context and it, it kind of puts it in the context of her later life and decisions that she made. Um, and I thought it was just, it was a really fun read, but it also made me really feel a lot of um, positive feelings towards Jessica Simpson, which is the opposite experience that I had when reading this book. I've, I've heard that from other people about open book. It's on my list. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's a really good book. I really actually recommend it. Um, we'll have a whole list up at our website, worstbestsellers.com. The last one I want to say out loud is specifically to Ani DeFranco, please read Janet Mock's books and also like anyone else looking to learn more about transgender rights, but specifically Ani DeFranco, please read a book that was published after 1998. I'm literally. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And reading a magazine article about yourself does not count. Right. No, like I support you. You don't have to read the articles about yourself. Read articles about somebody else, please. Uh, all right, let's do a quick round of would you rather, would you rather vote for Matthew McConaughey for governor or Dennis Kucinich for president, who Anya Franco did endorse and she talks about in this book? You know, I, I, as much as I am now a member of Matthew McConaughey's Just Keep Living cult, Mm -hmm. as I'm sure you all will be after you read the book, which (laughs) you're going to do after you listen to this episode, which has already aired to you, the listener. 
Um, you know, Dennis Kucinich is actually a politician, so I have to imagine he actually knows how politics work uh, in a more, you know, uh, realistic way. So I think I, I'm going to have to go with Dennis Kucinich. Yeah, like, again, love Matthew McConaughey. I think he seems like a good dude who would who wouldn't be the worst governor, but I also overall don't love the trend of celebrities running for office in general. And if, if I'm having the chance to vote for Dennis Kucinich for president, either it's in the primary or he's somehow managed to make it to the final, like, you know, either it's for the primary and then it ultimately probably doesn't really matter too much or he's made it. And then like, you know, like I don't disagree with Dennis Kucinich. He has good ideas. He just like, isn't terribly effective. So if he's made it here. All right. Um, as the only Texan on this mm-hmm. podcast, uh, if Matthew McConaughey decides to run for gov- governor, I will move back to my hometown and establish residency so that I can vote for him <laughs> because I know nothing about his politics, but he's got to be better than Greg Abbott. Got to be better. I mean, he's, he legit has done more. Like he raised a bunch of money after the ice yes. and all that. So that's helpful. Yeah. You know, um, at this point, I think a lot of Texans are just anyone but Abbott would be better, you know, if you put like a a hat on a turtle and had him run for governor, (laughs) I'd vote for that turtle. It's always nice to see a turtle. All right. How about would you rather eat dairy or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that serves only steaks and cakes? My loyalty to Steaks and Cakes is, of course, well known at this point, Uh, but this is an even easier question for me a lactose intolerant person whose (laughs) body hates them when they eat dairy so yes steaks and cakes all the way give me that steak and cake Mm -hmm. do the cakes contain dairy though is my question because most frosting does i would imagine it, I, I will say for me personally, um, butter doesn't tend to bother me the way that a cheese right. or a milk or an ice cream would. All right. Well, I love steaks and I love cakes, but um, I'm also a lactose intolerant person who throws caution to the wind and eats dairy all the time. <laughs> so I'm just going to continue to live my life. I respect that, but I will be eating my whole cake at Steaks and Cakes also. All right. Well, you guys have fun. Yeah, I'm gonna go <laughs> and eat a pint of Hagen Dazs by myself. Ooh, okay. Yolo. Now, yeah, my husband actually just went out, and I might need to have him um, get some ice cream on the way back because <laughs> now I really want a pint of Hagen Dazs just to spite Annie DeFranco. You know, yes, there's worse yes. reasons to do things. <laughs> 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 yeah like let's all just go and eat some ice cream and put on some makeup and, and, and respect uh, participate women. in per, respect trans women and just participate in society <laughs> let's do that <laughs> let's um but first let's play the rock paper snicked where kate will say who Dwayne the rock johnson would be if you're in this book and i'll say who wolverine would be if you're in this book and sophie can choose which most enhances the book or can choose paper which is to leave it as is okay you know i honestly don't even want the rock even tangentially associated with ani defranco after reading this but 
if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, I deeply hope that he would be someone that Ani has beef with for no real rational reason. You know, and sorry, it's the sorry kind to of interrupt, beef- I, to interrupt on your moment, but it's because The Rock has his own ice cream brand, Salt and Straw. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and so she well, we have a salt and straw here and maybe yeah I or maybe he doesn't own it he maybe just partnered with them he definitely like is somehow associated with salt and straw and she hates right that um yes yeah, so it, uh he would be a person that ani has a beef with for no real rational reason yeah. uh, and it's the kind of beef that makes you kind of squint and say like but he's right in this situation it also would be funny to see them side by side because she's so teeny tiny and he's so tall. That would be funny. Meanwhile, if Wolverine were in this book, I think that as we all know, Wolverine has um, a non-creepy fondness for mentoring teen girls. And I think he would have seen teen Ani DeFranco with her like older men and her obvious abandonment issues. And then like, hey, just so you know, older men don't want to date you because you're so like smart and worldly. They're actually just trying to take advantage of you. Um, but I don't think that she would have listened to that. I don't think she was like ready to receive that message, but he probably would have just punched at least one of the older men who was in her orbit. And I think that would have been satisfying for some. Uh, I'm going to go with Wolverine because uh, the guy who Ani only refers to in the book as the first boyfriend, um, the older man who 100% took advantage of her as a literal child, he deserves to be punched. Um, I also did find the Rock Salt and Straw ice cream flavors. They are Christmas themed. Um, and I will be buying them next Christmas if I have the opportunity. There's a spiked eggnog one, a cookie one, and then a uh, brownie one. That sounds great. <sighs> all right. Well, let's let's all eat that to spite Anita Franco and to support the Rock both. Yes. And important. Yes. And now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will weigh in with his thoughts about the book. Yeah, Duarte. One thing that we didn't even mention is that she seems like a really irresponsible pet owner. Oh, my God. I had to I couldn't read some of those sections because they made me really sad. Like the part where she finds a puppy so upsetting um but yeah I tend to read in my bedroom at in the evening and my cat Selena likes to come into the bedroom and scream at me and so every time she would I would just be like oh my god I know right <laughs> like she was she also did not enjoy the book yes and Ani like rescued a cat named Stella a kitten that she named Stella and she would just sort of mention the cat occasionally and be like wait where was the cat during the rest of this stuff? Like, what were you doing? You left her in this apartment with these weird roommates. Like, that's irresponsible. Yeah, like, every roommate that she had in New York was a actual sociopath, it seems like. There was one, though, who would, like, go into her bedroom and masturbate while she was gone. Yeah, and, like, you left the cat there? Yeah, and then eventually she gave her cat away, and I was like, thank God. Like, that, thank yes. God. I want only good things for that cat. Yeah. So, yeah, Dorte, you're right. And don't worry, I would never let any cats at you. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> All right. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? This was bad. Don't read this book. Yeah, don't read this book. Just don't. You can go back and listen to some of our early music. I think it still is okay if you like that kind of music. 
Yeah, I did go back last night and I was like, I'm going to listen to her first album because that was my favorite. That was like the first one I had on CD and I would listen to it all the time. And unfortunately, it still is a really, really good album. It still slaps. I have I have a couple of closing thoughts. One is um, just to reiterate, trans women are women. Calm the fuck down, Annie DeFranco. And then another <laughs> is that reviews of this or like mentions of her keep referring to her as Grammy award winning artist. Ani DeFranco, and I just want to put her on blast because the only Grammy that she has won is for Best Recording Package for her album Evolve, which came out after I stopped listening to her anyway. But that's the award that you get literally for like the liner notes and like the look of the (laughs) physical object of the album. Like she hasn't won any for her music, and not that the Grammys are the end all be all or whatever, but she hasn't won any for her music. Only for the actual physical product that she sells within the capitalist market, Ani. Booyah. Um, yeah, it's just it's just not the '90s anymore, and we know it, and maybe Ani doesn't know it. Yeah, but we'll never know because we don't have any record of her life experiences <laughs> after 2001. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Honestly, I'm just gonna pretend that she stopped being a public figure after 2001 i think that's better honestly yeah all right well if you want to find us online and tell us against our will about things that ani defranco has done after 2001 <laughs> i guess you can um we're on uh, facebook and instagram as worst bestsellers and we're on twitter at worst bestseller with no s at the end because we cut the s out of our diet for four to six months to see if it cleared our skin up we're still waiting on that um, and we also have a Goodreads group that is best accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on that link. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, any place where you get podcasts. You can probably find us there. You can find us. I don't know why I said probably. Uh, <laughs> I don't, you maybe you're bad at searching and then you can't find us. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you're like Ani DeFranco and don't know how to use it. <laughs> and if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up further on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review, then uh, you're just a sellout who's not giving us the support that you should give us. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay for hosting and all sorts of other important things to keep the lights on at our podcast. In return, you get little perks like a newsletter that comes out every month, uh, occasionally some stickers or postcards in the mail. Uh, It's pretty great. You can also go to worstbestsellers.com and click on merch, where you can find all sorts of merch about our podcast you can wear on your body. And finally, we have a Discord server that you can go to by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the link for Discord, uh, where you can meet other fans and talk to them about how terrible Ani DeFranco seems to be. (laughs) Share alternate music recommendations. Yes. What have you. All right. If you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at Renata Snacks. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm at 14 across, basically across the board. Uh, and my Twitter is Babe Gladwallers, B-A-B-E-G-L-A-D-W-A-L-L-E-R-S. Um, I'm keeping the S in my name. I did not cut it out for acne reasons. 
But, you know, it's we're going to do a scientific experiment and see who comes out on top. <laughs> we'll check back in in four to six months. Thank you. All right. And we as a podcast will be back in two weeks with uh, The Courtship of Princess Leia by Dave Wolverton, which is another thing that I liked in my teen years. And we'll see how it holds up. Um, And I think this is our first that'll be our first episode of Flashback Summer for 2021. Unfucking believably. Somehow. Yeah. (laughs) Somehow summer is arriving. Sophie, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. As much as I hated every moment of reading this book, <laughs> yes, um, it was really, really wonderful to get to talk to you two about it and get to talk to someone who understands the intense disappointment that I felt. Yeah, sorry. Sorry we made you read this, but at least we did it together. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you on the internet. Bye. Bye. Bye.